listeners, my name is Emily and you are tuned into E Pluribus Unum, a podcast where we discuss culture and politics from a religious perspective so that we can make a little bit more sense of the world and hopefully live in a better world. And maybe we'll be the ones to help make that world a better place. So there's a lot going on in the world, a lot to talk about. As you all know, there really is some serious stuff going on right now. And even though we don't usually talk about stuff like that on this podcast, I feel that it's very important. So there is heated, heated debate on TikTok over whether or not there are more wheels or more doors in the world. Yes, folks, this is the important stuff that's happening in the world right now. People on TikTok deciding, are there more wheels, more doors? Well, cars have four wheels and bicycles have wheels and no doors. And then you have wheelbarrows and roller blades and roller skates, all sorts of things that have wheels and no doors. But of course, you also have houses, which have doors and no wheels. And what about cabinet doors? And do dollhouses count? And what about Hot Wheels? Yes, it's quite interesting to me, in fact, that the younger generation, and possibly my generation too, I don't know who's on TikTok, I'm not on TikTok, but whoever's on TikTok, that at the same time that they can wax poetic about social justice, can also waste their time arguing over wheels and doors. Based on absolutely nothing, I came down on the side of doors, but I'm ready to be proven wrong. I don't really care. It is kind of an interesting thing to occupy one's mind with, I suppose. I don't think there's anything wrong with occupying one's mind with puzzles. Not everything has to be of great theological or world importance. I think it's okay to ruminate on different things. So there's not really judgment here, but uh, just thought I would bring to your attention that very important piece of news. But in all seriousness, there actually is big stuff going on. As we know, there's war in Ukraine. And I'm actually really not going to talk about it much, partially because, well, primarily because I haven't read a lot about it. I can't. It's one of my flaws as a person that I cannot read too much news. Or maybe it's not a flaw. Maybe actually we all feel that way. In fact, I imagine a lot of people do because I hear from many people how stressed they get when they are involved in the news. I've recognized that stress in myself and I've just chosen not to read too much. So it might be a flaw that I'm not involving myself more in the world and what's going on because there are real things in the world, but I just, I can't. I get stressed, I can't sleep, I can't function. And right now, and actually always, I need to function. And also, unfortunately, the truth is that my reading about everything that happens doesn't, unfortunately, change what happens. If my mere knowledge of something were to change it for the better, I would read everything. But that's not the case. So I'm not going to talk about it much because I don't know enough to talk about it. There are ways to help those in need. There are many organizations helping refugees and people in Ukraine. I know specifically of Jewish organizations that are helping the Jews in Ukraine, though I imagine there are organizations helping non-Jews as well. I'm just not as familiar with those organizations. That is one of the interesting and beautiful things about being a Jew is that we are connected by 
our Jewishness and it doesn't matter where the other Jews live or what they look like. We are connected merely by the fact of being Jewish. So there is a network able and ready to help Jews in need where maybe that sort of network is not necessarily set up to help and be involved with other people. I don't know that Ukrainians in the U.S. or in other countries are as set up to help Ukrainians in Ukraine as Jews are set up to help Jews anywhere in the world. And I say this as a person of some Ukrainian descent, but I don't have a particular connection to anyone in Ukraine, and I don't think anyone in my family would have had any particular any particular connection to people in Ukraine, but to Jews, we have a connection. So there is something really special about being Jewish. And in fact, uh, Natan Sharansky, who is a well-known Russian refusenik, commented within the last few days saying that, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but 20 or 30 years ago to be a Jew in Ukraine was one of the worst and most problematic things. But today to be a Jew in Ukraine means that there's someone outside of Ukraine willing to help you. And in fact, there are organizations helping Ukrainian Jews get to the U.S., helping them make Aliyah to Israel. It's really beautiful. My stance, my contribution, I guess, is I'm not going to read the news about it. I can't. I won't sleep. But I can donate. I can help those organizations that are helping others. And maybe that's all any of us can do, right? None of us is the president. Few of us have the ear of anyone important enough making big decisions, but we can help individuals. So it's not really ignoring what's going on. We're just helping in the way that realistically we can, which I think it's okay to recognize our limits and doing the things that are within our power to control and to help with. So that's my main thought on Ukraine. The only other one is, and I, I'm really of two minds on this, which is why I really can't delve into it too much. I don't have a answer. I don't have a conclusion. But I am of two minds on the concept of when should the U.S. or any country, in fact, get involved with what's going on within or between other countries. Sometimes I think that absolutely it is the job of good and righteous countries to step in when there's injustice or when there is evil being committed. And whether that's the U.S. or some other country doesn't really matter, just happens to usually be the U.S. who takes that role. And then sometimes I think, unfortunately, bad things happen in the world and there's only so much that we can do and it's not our job to interfere. And I don't know enough about this situation to comment on it in particular, but that's the only other thought that comes to mind. But I really don't have an answer. And I don't know that necessarily there is a right answer on this. Maybe it's something that is circumstantial. Maybe it depends upon what exactly is the evil being perpetrated or what is the injustice being perpetrated? What are we actually able to do? Will we really make it better? Will we make it worse? So I don't know, which is okay. We don't have to have definitive answers about everything. We are all growing and on journeys and perhaps it's sometimes better not to have definitive answers about everything. Some things we should have definitive answers about, and for that we turn to the Torah, of course, but sometimes we don't, and I think that is okay. So in this case, it's just something that I have been ruminating on, and maybe something you've been ruminating on as well, if you are 
maybe a little bit more uh, aware of the situation and involved than I am. So anyway, that is the big news, of course, over the past several weeks. And again, if you can go to Jewish National Fund or something like that and make a donation, say some psalms, you know, do an extra mitzvah if you're Jewish, you know, and dedicate the extra goodness that you're doing to the people of Ukraine, because um, those are the ways that we can help. That might be it, but it's not nothing. So moving on now to something a little bit lighter. I have a shoebox at home, which no longer has shoes in it. It has wax melts and wax melters, the kind that you plug into the wall and add scent to the room. So I was getting a new wax melt out of the shoebox today, and I decided to read the shoebox. I don't even think the shoebox was mine originally. I don't think the shoes that came in the shoebox were mine. I'm pretty sure the shoes were from someone else and I got the box. But anyway, the company is Taos, T-A-O-S, shoe company. And on the box, it says women should not have to choose between style and comfort. Now, you're probably going to think that I'm way overanalyzing it because, Emily, this is a shoe box, and they're just trying to say that shoes can be stylish and comfortable. And you're probably right. I probably am overanalyzing it. And there's nothing wrong with shoes being stylish and comfortable. There's nothing wrong with fashion in general that is stylish and comfortable. I am the type of person to go for comfort first, but I certainly like to be stylish or at least looking good. I wouldn't say I keep up with fashions because some fashions are super, super strange, especially has anyone ever watched a fashion show? I don't understand fashion shows because people don't actually wear those clothes, right? They're just on the runway. Have you ever seen anyone in some of those ridiculous dresses? I guess on the red carpet or things like that, you see people wearing some pretty funky stuff. So I'm not necessarily a style person, but we, we all like to look good. But we also like to be comfortable, and everyone has a different mix of which is more important to them. I fall a little bit more on the comfort side, but it's, it's pretty 50-50. So what's the issue with this shoebox? Really, nothing. The shoebox, that's their advertisement. They're trying to say, look, our shoes are comfortable and they're stylish. Great. Some shoe companies would advertise that their shoes are stylish and a great price, or comfortable and a great price. Fine. It's really not a big deal, except that it is. Because ideas like this, like that women should not have to choose. Not that with our shoes, women don't have to choose. Women should not have to choose. They're making almost a moral argument here, right? It's not reasonable to expect women to have to choose between style and comfort. I'm not just analyzing a shoebox. I'm analyzing an idea which has entered the zeitgeist slowly and insidiously, and then it ends up on shoe boxes, or it ends up on cereal boxes, or in commercials, or in kids' TV shows. The ideas that change our culture don't come from nowhere. They don't drop out of the sky one day and poof, we all have a new idea. They are slow and they creep in. It might start in a big movement way, but then it comes in in little ways until we have accepted this new thing. You know, we didn't at first have transgender athletes competing in college tournaments. 
we saw drag queens and we got used to drag queens. And then we got used to the idea, well, that maybe gender is a little bit fluid, right? It, it Everything is a slow progression. And then we accept, well, sure, what's wrong with the drag queen? And then the next step, we're like, well, sure, nothing's really wrong with that. So we, we don't have to t- make these big leaps because if people asked us to make these big leaps, we would say, no, these things are ridiculous. But they come in little by little. They chip away at us until the culture has entirely changed. So... Here, women should not have to choose between style and comfort. This is not about style and comfort or about clothes. This is about having to choose. That life is about choices and risk assessment and not always getting what we want and having to sacrifice certain things for other things. Sometimes you do have to sacrifice style for comfort or vice versa. Sometimes we have to sacrifice doing what's easy to do what's right. Those often are not the same. Sometimes we have to sacrifice going out with friends because we have worked the next day. Or we are really tired at work the next day because we choose to go out with our friends. That's a choice. We can't always get a really good night's sleep and also go partying with our friends until 2 a.m. That's where FOMO comes in, right? Fear of missing out. It's a fun and very real acronym for many of us, but that's The truth of life is that there are choices we have to make. We have to choose between safe sex or potentially getting an STD or getting pregnant. Abortion is one of the things that is trying to eliminate having to make choices or having to live with the consequences of our choices, right? Oh, you'll just, yeah, you didn't have safe sex, so you're pregnant, so let's just get rid of the baby. Except, of course, that's another choice because now you're making the choice to do something damaging to your body and to the body growing inside you or to live a life that you didn't expect. Maybe you weren't planning to be a mother or a father yet. You're not financially ready. You're not in the right relationship place, but that is another choice you have to make. We are making choices all the time and we're sacrificing things all the time. And because our lives are so incredibly good, definitely in this country, but in a lot of countries, in the year 2022, we don't want to make choices. We want everything. We want to have sex all the time and we don't want to be emotionally tied down by it. And we also don't want to get pregnant and we don't want to get sick. We want to follow our passion for our job, but we also want to be paid very well. Women want to be great mothers and they also want to have great careers. We want to eat all the yummy foods in the world and still look fantastically thin. Right? We want everything. And because there are some things that allow us to have everything, like we can live in a desert like Nevada and still have water. Right? That's, that's kind of a modern example of having our cake and eating it too. Several hundred years ago, it would have been much harder to live in Nevada. And that's why so many major cities are on waterways, because that's how transportation worked and water is necessary for life and also for planting. So the genesis of different cities and countries followed the geography and the topography because that was how we were limited. But with modern technology, we're able to live places that we wouldn't have been able to live before. So in some ways we are able to have our cake and eat it too. But that doesn't work for everything. And we have to make choices and we have to make sacrifices. But I don't think people want to do that anymore because our life 
because our lives are so good and so easy in so many ways, and we don't have to make the choices in a lot of ways that people used to have to do. I mean, women can have pretty good careers and also pretty good mothering, you know, being involved in their kids' lives. I mean, people can do both. Maybe they can't quite have it all 100% of each, but people can get pretty close these days to not having to make choices. So the few times that we do have to make choices, we balk at it. But that's just the reality of life. I think there's something beautiful in making choices and making sacrifices. It is hard and it can really stink sometimes to not go out with your friends because you have family obligations or you have work. FOMO is real. That's 100% for sure. But there's something really beautiful about the choices that you, when you make a good choice saying, you know, I am choosing to spend time with my husband to strengthen our relationship. That's a really cool choice to make. Or I am choosing to spend time with my family instead of time with my friends because I'm putting my family first. Our sacrifices indicate what matters to us. And that's a good thing. We're learning about ourselves. Other people learn about us. There's nothing wrong with making choices. We can't have everything. And that's okay. However, apparently, thanks to Tao's shoes, women at least don't have to choose between style and comfort. See, modern technology can be very helpful sometimes. So more about what's in the zeitgeist, if you will. And I've talked about this topic before, but I had to point it out again. So I was scrolling through Instagram and I follow Babylist, which is a baby registry, baby advice, all things related to baby, because as some of you may remember, I am indeed uh, pregnant with baby number one. Anyway, I follow Babylist. They also do contests a lot and I like to enter them. So I follow them on Instagram. So they had this post the other day and the post was, if being a dad has taught me anything, it's that some of my worst days as a parent actually had nothing to do with my kids and everything to do with me. Invest in your mental health. Get your mind right. When you prioritize your well-being, you, your whole family ultimately benefits. That was the photo on Instagram. And the comment below said, put yourself first and everyone wins. I have a problem with this putting oneself first thing. Actually, just in the context of this, I actually don't think that putting your, as he says, put your focus on your mental well-being and everyone wins. You're really not putting yourself first. You're putting your family first, but the way to help your family is to take care of yourself. So I, I don't think they are really putting themselves first in this case, but I think putting ourselves first is actually dangerous. And I have talked about this topic before, but I don't think it's better for our mental health to focus on ourselves. I think the reason that people are so neurotic these days, if they didn't have a Jewish mother driving them to it, is because of the focus on ourselves. We're so inwardly focused, we're involved with our minds all the time, that we're thinking about every little thing, we overanalyze, and, and that's why our mental health, well, that's why we're not mentally healthy. Whereas if we focus on others, we wouldn't be so wrapped up with every little thought, every little mistake we make, every little nuance of our personalities that drive us crazy, be much healthier. 
There's study after study that indicates that focusing on others, especially in terms of giving, whether it's donating money or volunteering time or helping another, how that is beneficial to our physical health in terms of things like lower lower blood pressure, but also that it is good for our mental health, that we are happier and we have less stress. But I was thinking about this sort of recently about people who talk about the fact that they have social anxiety and it's difficult for them to be in large crowds or it's difficult for them to pay for groceries at the supermarket or talk to someone over the phone. You'll hear this a lot from people that they are they have so much social anxiety that they can't exist in the social world. And I was thinking about it because I don't love talking on the phone either. Not to people that I know, but sometimes calling customer service can be really awkward. And not just because calling customer service sometimes is so obnoxious. And yes, sometimes talking with strangers is awkward. And I don't love big crowds, but I go out and do things anyway. I'm not saying that I'm special or anything like that. And I know that people really do have anxieties. This is not to minimize the fact that people really struggle with anxieties and depressions and and depression and those sorts of things. Of course it's real, but that doesn't mean that it has to be as pervasive or that it has to be as controlling of our lives as it is. And I think if we always say, I can't talk to the cashier, I have anxiety. I can't talk to the cashier, I have anxiety. The more we repeat it, the more it's going to be true. You can't talk to the cashier because you have anxiety. But what if we told ourselves, yeah, I hate it and it's awkward, but I can do it we'd be able to do it. We are so focused on every little neurosis that we have because we're told that, number one, it's okay not to stigmatize it, and also that they're all very, very real, and they have chemical reasons, and you can't just get over them, and you need help. All of which may be partially true, but I don't think it's the whole truth. I think there's more that comes along with mental illness than just chemical imbalance for many people, especially mental illnesses like social anxiety and depression. If you're schizophrenic, that might be a different story. But we can actually grow out of our anxieties and our neuroses. And the way to do it is by focusing externally instead of internally, because we can so overanalyze every little thing we do. And we think everyone else is doing it because we've put ourselves at the center of the universe because we're the center of our own universes, which is sort of how it works. We're the only person we know everything about right? We know all of our thought processes, every action we do, why we do it. We don't know that for anyone else. So it's understandable that we're the center of our own movie, but then we amplify everything. Whereas when we focus on other people, our own stuff sort of falls into the background a little bit. And maybe this is why some people are so involved in causes, whether it's Black Lives Matter or serving in a soup kitchen or Planned Parenthood, whatever the thing is, Yes, partially it's probably a replacement for religion, which people don't have, but maybe it's because people have to be involved somehow in something else, because if they're not, they're so involved with themselves that it can drive us crazy. So should we put ourselves first? Yes, if you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks come down, put yourself first, put your own mask on, and then put on the person next to you that you're supposed to be helping. But generally in life, I don't know that it's an always one or the other. We shouldn't always put ourselves first. We shouldn't always put ourselves second. Sometimes we should prioritize ourselves and sometimes we need to prioritize others. And maybe if we prioritize other people just a little bit more than we prioritize ourselves, 
Maybe that would help our mental health, which would ultimately help our children, as this post on Instagram was about, and help ourselves. I'm not a parent yet, so I can't fully comment. I think parents, especially mothers, are apt to always put their children first, and probably that's not healthy either. Mothers do have to take care of themselves physically and mentally and not only focus on their kids, but there is something maturing about putting other people before oneself. So I think Babylist didn't quite get it right on this one, but it is Instagram, so I don't really know what I expected. So we're coming to the end of the episode, and usually at the end of the episode, I sign off with always be a little kinder than necessary. And I like that concept. It's from J.M. Barry, the author of Peter and Wendy or Peter Pan. And I think it's an important concept to keep in mind that in most, and, and I think it's applicable in most situations that we can always be a little kinder than necessary. If we're, if we have a coworker who is obnoxious to deal with, I think it's better for us if we can treat them a little bit kinder than they're treating us. You know, even if they maybe don't deserve it, I still think it's better for our mental health and for our growth as good people to act kind even in that situation. I mean, it's no it's no big deal to be kind to people who are very kind to us, right? That's easy. The struggle is to be kind to people who aren't kind to us. So maybe it's an obnoxious coworker. Maybe it's an irate customer service person. Or if we're the customer service person and irate customer, maybe it's a relative who is a little bit too forthcoming with their opinions and advice that you really don't want to hear. There are plenty of times when it's important to be kinder than necessary. I would say in most of our day-to-day interactions, this is a good thought, which is why I chose it for ending this podcast. And also because at the time when I started this podcast, there was a lot of animosity in this country. There still is, but at the time, people were hating on their neighbors and their friends and their relatives simply because they disagreed politically. And I thought it was really important to focus on kindness because generally speaking, your relative who voted for Biden when you voted for Trump or your neighbor who voted for Trump when you voted for Biden, generally speaking, they're probably good people and you just disagree on this one thing. So it's important to continue to be kind to that person and not to vilify them because vilifying people or dehumanizing them is what makes it easier to do violence upon other people. So I thought that it was important, but I'm looking for something new to sign off the show. And not because I don't think this is still important, but I don't think it's enough. Partially because kindness can be misapplied, right? There's that quote, which is from the Talmud. It's actually attributable to different places in Judaism. And I think it's also been repeated Dennis Prager likes to repeat it a lot. There are different variations on the theme, but essentially those who are kind to the cruel will end up being cruel to the kind, or those who are merciful to the cruel will end up being cruel to the merciful. Essentially that kindness can be misapplied. And as important as I think kindness is in our day-to-day interactions, which is most of the interactions that we have, you know, most of us aren't dealing with large scale things. We are dealing with a shopkeeper or a customer or the next door neighbor. Kindness is very important, but kindness can be misapplied when we show kindness to people who don't deserve it, whether it's allowing 
convicts out of jail so that they don't get COVID or kindness in allowing a transgender person to participate in the sport of the sex that they actually aren't biologically, then we're cruel to the people who are kind. So I don't know that always be a little kinder than necessary is the message that I want to leave you with, but I'm not really sure what the message I want to leave you with is. I mean, I kind of do. The message is go to the Torah or to the Bible, look at what God has told us, and that's all we need to do to live to make the world a better place. I mean, that's the that's the ultimate purpose of this podcast, right? Is looking at culture and politics from a religious perspective, from a Jewish perspective, specifically in hopes of making the world a better place. So I guess that's the message I want to leave you with, but I'm looking for something pithy, maybe something already previously said by someone else, but then again, I suppose I can come up with my own sign-off. Anyway, today I might still end the same way, but I'm just letting you know I'm looking for a new sign-off because kindness is important, but I don't think it is enough. And the truth is, unfortunately, I see so many signs or bumper stickers or signs on people's yards that say, be kinder today or kindness is everything. But those same people have signs in their yards, the ones that say, black lives matter, love is love, no human is illegal, etc. And I don't know, because I haven't spoken with any of those people personally, but I have a feeling that their kindness does not extend to people who don't agree with them. So clearly kindness is not enough, and kindness isn't everything. And there is more than kindness. There's goodness, and there's righteousness, and there's justice, true justice, not social justice, but justice from, from a biblical and from a godly perspective, and freedom, and liberty, and all of those things might at this point, and maybe always, are a little bit more important than kindness. One last interesting thing, we're told that of the three patriarchs, each had his own trait that he was known for. Abraham was known for kindness, right? We see him with the guests and the hospitality. He is known for being overly kind. His son, Isaac, is known for severity or strength of character, being able to decide what is right and wrong. And and that's important too, right? You Yes, kindness is one thing, but you also need to be able to know what's right and stand up for it. And Jacob, Yaakov, is said to be the perfect balance of both. He knew when to be kind and he knew when to be severe. And I think that is probably what we all need is, yes, you should always be a you should almost always be a little bit kinder than necessary, but you also need to know when and where and to whom to apply that kindness. And sometimes severity and justice is the important thing in the moment. So for today, I want to say thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we can work on truly becoming E Pluribus Unum out of many one. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude, Opus 10, Number 1 in C Major, known as the Waterfall Etude.